Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Mike Koenigs. He's a 13-time best-selling author, and he's created over 1,700 best-selling authors worldwide. So, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. So, when did the entrepreneurial bug hit you? I mean, I think you started full-time as a 16-year-old, but when did that sort of entrepreneurial bug uh, hit you? I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. My dad's a barber, and I grew up literally pushing a broom on the floor, cleaning up and sitting around listening to a bunch of guys. Back then, it was in a smoky basement barbershop. My dad ran the oldest surviving barbershop in a small town called Mankato, Minnesota. And there'd be, my dad taught me one important lesson. I was probably four or five years old. He says, the first thing you do when you meet someone is you look them in the eyes and you reach out and you shake their hand. And he showed me how to do a firm handshake and say, thank you and please. And so that got things going. And I started because we didn't, we grew up pretty poor in a very, very small town. The actual town I lived in was called Eagle Lake. We had 763 people in there. So I started shoveling, finding ways to earn money, walking around the neighborhood, selling stuff. And it turned out someone I was, uh, who was a customer of mine and my paper route, uh, asked me, so how old are you? I was like 14. He goes, when you're 16, come over here and I'll give you a job. And he owned the one and only gas station in town, which was, that would be the, you know, I don't know what it compared to, but it was yeah. like the best job you could possibly have in this crappy little town. <laughs> and I literally started, I walked in and on my, on my 16th birthday, and I said, I'm 16 years old. And he goes, you want a job? And I go, yeah, yeah I do. And he goes, why don't you start today? And that began a full-time career. And I never went to college because I hated school and I have an issue with authority. And I, frankly, I'm unemployable. That <laughs> job was great for me because it was full service. We had yeah. gas pumps, we had tire machines. So I had to figure out how to learn to run, do tires. And just about killed myself a couple of times. If you've ever been around on tire machines, they're, they're dangerous. Wow. And then I opened up a side arcade, bought arcade machines, and just found ways to make money and add value. So that's been pretty much my life. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, how many people were in this town? In, in Eagle Lake, 763, but it was on the main highway between Mankato, which was the big, bigger town, 30,000 or so, and then connecting a bunch of other smaller towns. So there were a lot of people passing through. And, you know, once again, you learn rapport and it was a gas station. It was a grocery store. It sold, we sold bait. So I'm dealing with minnows and leeches and worms and, and people and my arcade and tires. I mean, there would be times when there'd be 10 customers and I'm swinging a tire iron and pumping full service and dealing with groceries and God knows what else is going on. And uh, it was a rough town too. So I'd keep my eye on the shenanigans and the petty criminals that were walking around trying to dip my till or steal money somehow, you know, by saying, nah, I gave you a 20 and, you know, and I'd be like, no, I got your 10 sitting right on top. So you had to <laughs> learn 
how to make sure people weren't thieving. And the other thing is the guy who ran it taught me, he said, you, you can't use the till to tell you how to give change. You have to learn how to count backwards. Mm. So, you know, how to, and these days, you know, you go to like any store these days and these punks just don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> they grab change, they slap it in your hand. You're like, bye. And you're like, it, this was a very different time. I sound like a crabby old man now. I know that <laughs> it was a different era and there was no specialization. And that's kind of what this town was like. If you're going to survive, yeah. like my dad, he had the barbershop. He was the city building inspector. He was, he sharpened scissors. And let's see what else did he do. He was the city clerk also. So he basically <laughs> had four jobs plus four kids. So that's, you do what you got to do to survive. And that's kind of where I got my rampant entrepreneurialism. Awesome. Now you've, I guess, 13 time bestselling author. You've helped thousands of people become bestselling authors. How did that all come about? Well, so if we back up a little bit, when you sure. grow up relatively poor with mm -hmm. no resources to speak of other than learning how to be resourceful, I always loved movies. I loved entertainment. I love video games. And because I was no good at school, no one was going to give me a chance. And we didn't have any money, so I didn't have a chance to go to college. So what I taught myself how to do is I taught myself how to write code at an early age. Mm. And I met a kid who he and his brother made five feature-length science fiction movies using Super 8 film. This is right during the video era. And um, meet this guy, and we, be we hit it off right away. And we tried to figure out ways we could combine video games and entertainment and movies. And this is, again, during the, the era of pre-internet. And along the way, I just got more and more introduced to media. And if you fast forward a few years, I started developing a lot of electronic marketing for brands. So some of the big brands were like General Mills or BMW, or that evolved into 20th Century Fox and Sony. We did movie promos. And eventually, authors started finding me and saying, hey, can you help me market online? And I meet these people and I got really intrigued with authors and how if you wrote a book, you had what's known as a platform and that elevated your prestige, your value, the perception of who you were. You got television opportunities. And I always deep inside, I wanted to be Johnny Carson. I wanted to have my own TV show. But again, no resources, no skills, never learned how to be behind camera. But when you start spending time around big personalities, it rubs off. And I thought, someday I'm going to learn how to write a book. Well, again, I'm jumping around a little bit here. There's plenty of gaps to fill in. But eventually, the woman I married, Vivian, had written a book. And I got really interested. And just because she not only wrote a book, but she used to work for Deepak Chopra, hmm. which suddenly that opened up another world of that personal development world. And I got really enamored with it. And we met the people behind it. Again, more connections. Eventually, Amazon opened up their, what they call their KDP, where you could self-publish. And I figured out how to rapidly create content and publish it on Amazon. And here's the, the real trigger point. My first book I wrote while I was going through cancer treatment. So I almost died of cancer. And I wrote a book because I thought, I'm going to do a legacy piece. And I published it myself. It became a bestseller very quickly. It also got me on stage. So I spoke on a Tony Robbins stage. And 
everyone started asking me, so how'd you get this book published? How'd you write a book, you know, and da da da. And I ended up turning it into a product, which turned into a service and a system where I ended up helping 1800 business owners write books and become bestsellers. So the story within the story is, I always figure out how can I hack a system? Mm. How can I use it to elevate a brand or elevate an individual? How do I take advantage of a brand new distribution system? How do I make money with it? Mm. And this did all of those all in one fell swoop. And, you know, if you look at it now, Amazon not only develops, but it publishes more books than ever before. And it still is a great platform. But again, if you kind of span over the 13 books or so, every time I wrote a book, it was right before I was about to do an event where I taught people how to write books and become bestsellers. And I wanted to be able to stand up on stage in front of an audience of hundreds of people and say, by the way, I just wrote a brand new book in less than 30 days. I'm going to publish it right before your eyes and make it a bestseller right before your eyes, proving to you I can do it too. And by the way, I had no time between this. I was planning an event. I was marketing an event. I was running a company with employees. If I can do it, you can do it too. So it was always a thematic thing. But my last book I wrote was called Cancerpreneur, which is how I survived cancer and with yeah. my business and my marriage and my relationship with my family intact. So yeah, that's powerful. Now going back to, you know, when you when you found out you got cancer and then you start to write this book, what sort of things were you writing in there? Because at this time you didn't know if you're gonna make it or not. So what what were you uh, putting in there? Well, at this point. The book is, so I actually wrote that book after I had survived. Okay. Here's what had had happened. Okay. When you survive cancer, Mm -hmm. suddenly you find out how many people are diagnosed with cancer. So statistically speaking, half of all, let's see, I believe it is 30% of men, it, it roughly comes out to be a third of all people, but they get cancer before in their life lifetime. So someone you know either has it or has just got diagnosed with it. That's statistically how it works. Mm. And when I had it and I survived, suddenly I get calls from people saying, hey, so-and-so just got diagnosed. Can they talk to you? And they wanted mm. my advice on how to survive. And I had stage 3A colorectal cancer, which by the way, is a bad place to get it. And that's Ooh. pretty far. It's like, it's, you're right before, you know, if I would have been stage 4, I usually don't live. Yeah. So what wound up happening is I had gotten used to, and I had just took everyone's calls and I helped them and I supported them and I recorded audios. And pretty soon I realized I'm answering all the same questions all the time. So naturally I'm like, well, I, why don't I save myself a lot of time and save a lot more lives? So I sat down, crafted a list of all the questions people asked in the order that they asked them and also put my spin on it, which included what you should be asking in order to survive, which is how do you game the medical system to your advantage so you survive and you thrive, but also pay the least amount of work and get your doctors so interested in you as a human being that they're fighting for your survival. Mm. So it's, it's really, if I get right down to it, it's how to hack the medical system, how to hack your health, how to hack and game the system to your advantage. So that's what I did. And I wrote that book start to finish. I actually made a documentary of me writing the book in real time. And I wrote it, came up with the concept, wrote it, 
published it, made it a number one bestseller in six days, oh, right wow. before my last event where I taught people the, the system. So, so I over answered your question, but again, I always turn everything I do into a, how do I solve a problem? How do I teach what I'm doing? How do I craft a product that has value and how do I make money from it? You know, it's mm-hmm. creating opportunities and opportunities and opportunities. Okay. So the question uh, comes to mind, how do you create a book in six days? You know, because obviously you've, you've helped a bunch of people do that. I've created a book. It took a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. So the bottom line is this, I don't care what it is. So first of all, you can either be an expert or you can be a reporter. Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset you have. So I can become an expert on any topic by asking a few experts good questions, compiling that and organizing it and structuring it and delivering it. All right. So in this particular case, I was kind of an expert on surviving a certain type of cancer. And I'd also gotten to know a lot of doctors and knew a lot of people. But more importantly, I knew the audience. My audience were entrepreneurs who just get diagnosed with cancer. And the things that go through an entrepreneur gets diagnosed with cancer are, how the hell am I going to survive this? Obviously. Mm -hmm. But then there's a whole bunch of other things that go on beyond that. So I really became my customer in their mind. And the answer to the question is, if all you did is you sat down Mm -hmm. and you got really clear on who your audience is, what they need, what questions they have, and how to inhabit their brain, it becomes super easy. So here's how I do it. From a functional perspective, I sat down and in about three hours, I crafted an outline of all the questions I think someone who got diagnosed would, would ask and then what they, what, so in other words, what, I, what they're frequently asked questions would be, and then what I call their should ask questions. What are all the things mm-hmm. that you, even you're too ignorant or you don't know any better, but it's what you need to know in order to survive. And then I also knew you'd need some resources and maybe you'd he- want to hear some stories about some other survivors and what their mental process of survival was. So I sat down with my list with a microphone and a webcam, just like I'm doing with you right now. And I imagined the last person I answered the questions for to, who was another entrepreneur who wanted to survive. And I spoke to a microphone and a camera as though I were talking to the one. And I recorded it chapter by chapter. Every chapter was about 10, 15 minutes long. So I'd start recording. And boom, 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 boom. And I tell a story and I had a structure on how I open it. I always open up with a a quote, which you can get from a quote website. I opened up with the core question or the what do you need to know in an attractive way that would be interesting and intriguing. And then from there, I um, would tell a story. And then I'd, I'm going to, first I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I'd tell you, and then I'd tell you what I told you. That's the structure I'd follow. And as soon as I finished a chapter, I'd press the stop button, drag that file onto a service called rev.com where it got transcribed. And I had made a deal already with an editor who took that transcription as soon as it finished and started editing it while I was recording the next chapters. So all this is happening in real time. And then 
that editor, anytime when some of my conversations didn't make sense, because it's just me talking, obviously, I'd have her post questions that I needed to fill in the blanks and she'd rearrange stuff so it made more sense. And then after I answered the question, she made another pass and then I made a final edit. And all this is happening. I had a perfect structured document that we collaborated with in Google Docs. It all got pushed together. I paid an, a designer to make a nice looking cover for me, uploaded it to Amazon, pressed a button, had it published. It's live in about eight hours. And I pressed another button to have the paperback delivered two days later. While I'm on stage, I show the paperback and I'm like, there, proof. Nothing better than proof. You can do it too. And that's basically how it worked. Wow. That's pretty efficient. So, I mean, for people that don't understand a value of a, a book, or let's say you have podcasts and stuff, like what do you tell those people like in terms of what sort of impact it can have sure. on their business and their life? Here's the easiest way. Just imagine someone showing up at your door, doesn't matter what business you're in, saying, I already know I want to work with you. How do we start? And you'd be like, well, how'd you get that? And they'd be like, I've been following you. I listened to two of your podcasts. I checked out your book. I love what you talk about. And I really like how you think. It's as though we've known each other forever. Boom. That's the equivalent of I love you in business language. <laughs> so the truth is that's what I do for a living now. Because I, I gave up a complicated business with a lot of moving parts and a lot of employees. I got rid of everything years ago. Because, you know, again, be fully transparent. I'm not only unemployable, I can't stand managing people. <laughs> and you know, we live in an environment in a world today that is so bureaucratic, so many moving parts. I live in the People's Republic of California, where it's just, it's socialism at its worst. And, and deep inside, I'm an unabashed entrepreneurial capitalist, libertarian-minded individual with no political association or loyalty, none whatsoever. Hate them all. So I like simplicity, elegance, and I like to add value, and I only work with people I love. It took me 50-some years to figure out and have the courage to say what I just did right now. Mm. But I only work with people I love, people I respect, who have businesses I love or can fall in love with. And the people who work best with me are folks who resonate with that value system. And so the answer to your question, when the reason I gave you all of that is a book, a podcast, or anything that we call crafting a platform enables you to self-replicate and for the right fit people to show up and understand who you are, what you do, why you do it, who you do it for in a way that they're like, I... I either want to be like you, I want to have what you have, or I want to have a life like the one I think you have. And I'd like you to show me the way. And in a way, in every business, I say this, it'll sound a little crass at first, but I don't apologize for it anymore. We are all selling one of three things. Get paid, get laid, live forever. Meaning make more money, have better relationships, or have a higher quality of life or a better lifestyle. And everything, everything that gets sold or packaged somehow falls into one of those three categories when you break it all down. Mm, okay. So, I mean, 
out of all the books that you've written, I mean, I'm sure you love them all. Which one really, if you could only take one book with you, which one would it be? Well, it's the one I'm working on right now. Mm. And I'll tell you why. It's because as soon as you're done writing a book, it solved its problem and you frequently outgrow the message. So it still has value. So I'm going to answer your question by not answering a question and then I'm going to answer your question, okay? (laughs) Sounds perfect. One of my books evolved into something called Publish and Profit, which is how to write a book and become a bestseller, okay? So it serves a purpose. Another book is called Money Phone, which is how to use your phone to craft super simple stories and messages that make people want to buy from you, okay? Mm -hmm. And then Cancerpreneur, which was the last one, has a certain value. The truth of the matter is, Other than Cancerpreneur, every single book I wrote was designed to sell a product or a service, in other words, to elevate my brand, make me visible, get people to have a sales conversation with me and want to buy something, okay? And my rule was I would write a book as quickly as possible, focused on an audience to generate a minimum of a million dollars in a hundred days or less. And that's what I did with every one of them from several million, you know, a million to several million each. Cancerpreneur was a pure give, but every single one of the other ones, that's what it did and they did it. Now the new one I'm writing is about what I'm most in love with right now, which I call it the superpower accelerator, which is how to elevate your brand, your visibility, how to craft a message, a story that causes people to show up and say, I've been looking for someone just like you and I already know I want to work with you. So it really embodies everything I've learned, everything I've done over my own career, everything I've helped other people do and collapsing that all inside of the world we live in now, which is virtualized, digitized and dematerialized. And I, you know, and, and as of right now, when you and I are having this conversation or a couple month, months into COVID, which in general, I don't like talking about it, to me, it's irrelevant. From a business perspective, it's been the best time for me ever. Everyone needs what I got right now. I like hibernating. Right now, the traffic in California is the best it's ever been. My whole family's doing fine. And we prepared mentally, physically, and financially for this moment. In other words, we practiced a discipline. And I believe that things like this are and were inevitable. We've been living in a soft, easy time for a long time, probably since World War II. Nothing really bad has has happened. And in my opinion, a lot of what's happening right now is fake. Okay? We know that the data is being fudged. We know that there's a mad grab for power and money by multiple, whether it's politics, media, medicine, bureaucracy, and... If you know any doctors, most of them will tell you that it's fake. A lot of this. I'm not saying people aren't dying. I'm not saying innocent people aren't dying. But if you look at the statistics, a lot of it's manipulated horse manure. Recalibrated, reclassified. I think that's, I don't think that's a political statement. It's go talk to some doctors and ask them what they are doing or what they're being asked to do by their administrations. The rest of my case. So now that I kind of either offended most of your audience or they're like (laughs) raising their hands going, I feel the same way. Now ask me that question again, now that I've laid down the, the framework for. Yeah. I think part of what you're saying about attracting people to you is just being yourself. 
right? And putting it out there. If you have a bold vision, you go for it. And you don't, if people, some people don't like it, then they're not for you. And totally, but there's going to be some people that love you for it. Right. So is that what you tell your, your people you work with? I do. So what I usually do, and again, I, so I'm going to answer the question that I asked you, which was, you said, which one of my books is the best or my Mm. favorite. And to most authors, they're always going to say it's the current one. So my current one is my current message, my current story, which I really gave you, which is, yeah, I think we live in transitional times, the best time ever to be alive. There's more opportunity. Now I think we're going to come back stronger and smarter. And those who don't are the already extinct. In other words, we had a mass extinction event going on. There's a whole bunch of businesses Mm -hmm. that are dumb that were already broken. It was just a matter of time. And I'm going to say something that doesn't embody everyone or everything. Again, just taking advantage of the moment we live in, which is COVID, for example, was a reframing in a lot of ways. If you look at statistically how many people die over time, a certain number die of flu. An enormous number of people die by falling down all the time or heart attacks or, 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 or. A lot of the people who have died during this massively reclassified time, science is saying, you know, it's government, it's a, due to the free grab of money that it's been happening but people have been reclassified. In other words, if you die of a heart attack, but you came in contact with someone in COVID, they say you died of COVID because hospitals get a lot of money for that. They're just grabbing cash, free money from the government. This has happened in some way, shape or form for a long, long time. It's just the nature of the business. So back to what I'm trying to say here, some people are gonna resonate with my message or they are hating you, me and maybe you and this. Mm-hmm. And that's okay with me. I don't need to be loved by everyone. In fact, and you'll find this, the people who make the biggest difference, impact the most people are willing and capable of polarizing an audience, of drawing out the big yeses versus the big noes. And in fact, you could find out that I may not even, I'm not saying this to be true. I could be in a position where I don't even believe in anything that's coming out of my mouth, but I crafted a polarizing character that raised people up to say, yeah, I totally agree with that person. Mm-hmm. It's my opinion that you're better off attracting the top 20% by polarizing the other 80. Those who are loved by everyone are nobody's friends. Nobody loved or trusted a teacher's pet, okay? Because you saw they were little conniving liars and manipulators. And no one would trust them because you're, they'd sell you out for a lollipop the moment they had a chance. And you can smell that a million miles away. No one trusts it. But someone who stands for something is willing to polarize and craft a good guy, bad guy, cops and robbers or whatever theme is popular in today's culture are the ones who are most trusted. And you don't have to trust someone to respect them. Mm, That makes sense. (laughs) Now, for you're known for being able to sort of predict digital trends and stuff. And I know the environment that we're in kind of favors understanding that and where it's going. What are the trends in the digital space we should be paying attention to? Well, I think the first one is, I love the three words, virtualization, digitization, dematerialization. So virtualize, simply put, look at what Zoom has done for all of business. And 
I was just on, I was doing a podcast. This is with uh, Dan Sullivan. He's my podcast host on Capability Amplifier. And we just recorded four episodes right before I came on with you. Yeah. And we batched them up. Now their business, Strategic Coach, delivers historically, and for the past 35 years, you meet once a quarter in person in a location. It's either Chicago, Toronto, or in Los Angeles or London. Those are the key places. And they work with around just a shy of 3,000 business owners who learn great skills. And the promise is that you get freedom of time, money, and purpose. Ultimately, a self-managing, self-running company. That's the message. And when this thing happened, they've got this entire business built upon showing up in a building. And they immediately virtualized, they immediately digitized, they immediately dematerialized and started delivering what they did through Zoom. And look, if you would have told them or said six months from now, hey, you're going to have to virtualize, digitize, dematerialize, or you're dead. And you would be face nothing but resistance. And if you told their customers, hey, we're going to do this all with Zoom, they'd be like, no way, I'm not going to do that. My butt's going to hurt. My back's going to hurt. I don't see any value. I'm not going to have the intimacy and connection, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? No one's bitching. No one's leaving. Everyone's happy. In fact, they're realizing this is actually more intimate. It's more convenient. You don't have to travel. You save more time. Now, yes, there's a certain amount of fatigue you get from doing this kind of thing. But if you use the technology, you manage it properly, you create community, you create connection, that's not at top of people's minds. And I've been in the event-driven business for almost 20 years, done tons of them. Now, I decided two years ago I was going to quit that business because, frankly, it was just hard on my body. And I was done. I was just outgrowing who I was, what I did, why I did it, who I did it for. Shut it all down, got rid of my studio, huge studio, lots of equipment, lots of people, a lot of moving parts to go for simplicity and elegance. So again, getting back to your question, here's the trend that I see worldwide. A, this technology forced the hand of a whole bunch of businesses. And those that don't adapt, adopt are or already were zombies. And they're among the walking extinct. And this just tipped the finger, okay? And it's sort of like the comorbidity. I'm going to just go back to the metaphor I was using earlier. For the most part, not always, but the COVID, the real COVID deaths, for the most part, affected people with comorbidity. Older, heavy, don't get sun, don't get exercise, don't work out. Not always, but most. In this world, right now, the people I think who are going to be greatly affected, look at big gym organizations, the nameless and the faceless. Who's going to want to go back to them? You got Peloton. You can virtualize. You can have a relationship with an instructor one-on-one. Why the hell do you want to be talking to a big nameless thing that just steals money from you every month that doesn't provide value and you can't get out of the damn contract? It's like, screw you. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. It'll be like Hertz in some of these organizations, companies that were so tight or in the, in the, supply chain business, so dependent upon what would happen a week from now, and they figured out how to narrow their dependence on every other system. It's just pinching every penny, every nickel out of the system they possibly could. Suddenly, business isn't as usual, and they tank like that, right? Well, guess what? Wake up to the new world. Wake up to the new world of doing things. 
my intention isn't to be harsh. It's just like, this is the reality you got to wake up to, which is how are you getting prepared? And how do you virtualize? What's happening right now? A lot of companies are finding that a certain percentage of their workforce get more done, they're more efficient, and they're self-managing, and they can just do it at home, and you don't have to pay for a stupid office anymore. And all the taxes and all the crud that goes along with it. And again, depending on where you are, same type of thing. But companies that are thinking about how can I use these spaces in new and interesting ways, shared economy, shared resources, the concept, the need to own has been going away for a long time. The hand has been dealt. It's just going to happen faster. That's Dan Sullivan's opinion that some of what's happened has accelerated and already in momentum change that would have taken five years to evolve to. And it just happened inside of a couple of months. So we could, if you wanted to, we could go down into the specific industries. But I do, again, think that rapid adaptation, co-creation, innovation needs to be your standard operating system if you're going to survive in this new environment we're in. And it's a natural evolution. Can't look at this and say something happened to you. It's sort of like, you know what? The earth, the universe goes through cycles all the time of spring, summer, winter, fall. And it's my opinion and observation that we've been pansified for decades. It's just like, it's been too easy and too abundant for too long. And ultimately, this is, this is a, a natural winter that was inevitable. It just happened fast. And now we got to be thinking about how are we going to prepare for what could be the next one? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Adapt, right? Grow or die, right? They, they say in yeah. the US. Yeah. And instead of adapting, meaning it's happening to you, how do you prepare for it? Okay. Because everyone I know who's fine in this has been practicing for decades the discipline of abundance, of innovation, and of not being dependent upon things being exactly the way they are with, with tiny constraints and no room for innovation and creativity in between. In other words, if you don't have some cash reserves and if you aren't overextended, and this is a behavior, so adapting happens when it's happening to you, preparation hmm. is, needs to be the operating system of the future preparing and innovating in advance and paying attention to the trends and also crossing over multiple disciplines and industries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Mike, is there anything that I should have asked you, but, but didn't? It's always a great question. Get the free swing, right? There you go. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a good one, which yeah. is, so what are you working on right now that you're most excited about that you think Sure. Business owners should be paying attention to that really matter. There you go. You like that one? Yeah. Let's should do we that. go with that? Should we yeah, go with yeah, that? Yeah, go, go. All right. Go. All right. So I told you a little while ago that I, I created this thing called the Superpower Accelerator. And my intention was here was the thought process. If money were a new object and you had an opportunity to reinvent yourself and do whatever you wanted, work with whomever you wanted, be able to craft a lifestyle that you want. And with your prime focus on being happy all the time, 
being deeply connected with those you love. So I've been married now. I just celebrated my 19th wedding anniversary. My single son just graduated from high school. And if you want to go down a path of weird, talk about graduating during the time of COVID. Mm. And he's been accepted into college. So in a way, perfect time to think about what's going to happen next, right? And so give yourself permission for a moment. If you could reinvent yourself without any fear, what would that look like? And if you could spend all of your time doing what you are naturally, instinctively, characteristically driven to be or do, what would that be? And who would you love to be a hero to? In other words, who would you love to serve? And if you had a certain customer or client or action activity that that provided value, what would that look like? And that's how I approached my own life a couple of years ago. And it's what I do right now. And I've been developing tools and resources to allow that to happen. And as a result, I've been helping people reinvent who they are and craft brands that attract perfect customers. In other words, I like to say, if you could get one customer a certain way and you had a hundred or a thousand just like that, what would that, what would your life be like, right? Mm-hmm. With very little overhead, very little risk. And so, and it's, it's turned out that having this conversation has attracted the right fit people. It's driven me to launch two podcasts, which I do. One's Capability Amplifier. One's called The Big Leap with a guy named Gay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. I just am in the process of negotiating a deal that'll put me in front of a massive, massive audience of radio stations, which in general, I think radio's on its way out and one of the dying platforms, but it still has value. And so this is like a huge like swing for the fences kind of a deal. But I love building platforms for other people and finding their genius and their superpowers and amplifying and accelerating them so they can charge three to 10 times more for who they are versus what they do. And again, if you just take a macro look at that, what has value? What truly does? The physical world, yeah, we're all, we all need to eat. We all need to move ourselves around. But just about everything's been commoditized now in the physical world. Mm. And the stuff that has value is imagining bigger, imagining deeper, imagining longer, thinking about how valuable something is for a longer period of time and keeping it that way. So it's storytelling, it's branding, it's expanding brains, expanding connections, it's deepening relationships. And that to me is where I think the future of business lies because there are no barriers, there are no borders, there are no walls anymore, not real ones. Everyone who needs to work together can figure out how to do it. Okay, all the text there, it's ubiquitous and it's free. And, and it doesn't matter how much regulators and government tries to stand in the way in bureaucracy and big business that do bad things. And I'm talking about Google and Facebook and Instagram and these platforms that, in my opinion, they do bad things. They spy, they steal data, and they try to find a way not to do it. And there's also bad governments doing bad things. The United States does bad things. China, for sure, does very bad things many other countries. 
and the leaders running those can't get away with it that much longer. There's going to be a shift, a massive power shift that's happening and will continue to happen. And those who, who have big imaginations, who innovate quickly, communicate and create deep relationships across barriers and borders and countries and languages are the ones who are going to survive and thrive this radical shift we're upon right now. And so that's my answer to that question. I love your passion. I definitely picked up some nuggets. Thank you so much, Mike. It's my pleasure for sure. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.